Please open your Bibles to John chapter 7, the Gospel of John chapter 7. And if you're visiting, I'll tell you that we always start, we like to start at the beginning of a book and work its way through. So uh, if something uh, this morning resonates with your hearts, it's not because uh, I, I planned it all out for you, it's because the Holy Spirit's working. If something resonates in your heart this morning, it's because the Holy Spirit is working in your life, the Holy Spirit gave me a thing to say. The Holy Spirit had us arrive at this passage today, um, so God has a, an appointment for you. So let's go to God's Word together. This is John chapter 7, verse 1. Uh, after this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now, the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that, about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. Well, some said he is a good man. Others said, no, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. Well, let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't know if you've ever heard of the 3 a.m. test, but it's, uh, I think it's uh, something John Piper wrote in a book on preaching. I think it's John Piper, but there's a, there's a million books on preaching. I've got a dozen of them on my, on my shelf, and I've read through quite a few of them with some of the other staffers, and it's been kind of a cool experience. But um, anyway, I think it's Piper who says um, <clears throat> you need to have a 3 a.m. test. Do you know what the 3 a.m. test is? Uh, if your wife wakes you up at 3 a.m. and she goes, hey, honey, honey, what's your sermon about in the morning? If you can't give the answer in one sentence, uh, you're not ready. That's the 3 a.m. test. That's kind of cool, isn't it? All right, so uh, what's our big idea? Well, here's what I came up with. Um, our big idea is this. Well, hang on a second. This, isn't, this is the first one I came up with. Uh, it was going to be, um, well, uh, the first one I ever put in the form of a question. Uh, is Jesus a good man or a false teacher? All right, so that's not really a point, it's a question, but I was going to like break the rules and say this is the first time we've ever had it in the form of a question, and you can see where I would have gotten that because um, that's the issue. Um, it says uh, some say he's a good man, others say no, he's leading the people astray. All right, so that's not a bad summary of that, but it's still in the form of a question, okay? So I changed it, um, and uh, I went more like church sign thing, you know? Like if you're driving by a church and it says Jesus crashed his party about himself, well, that would, that's kind of catchy, isn't it? It's a lot better than like 100% of things we've seen on the road. So then I was like, no, that's not really it. Here's, here's the 3 a.m. test. If Tammy says, hey, what's your sermon about? Um, that's the same thing that I wish you would say at 3 p.m. If somebody says, hey, what was that all about today? Uh, there's like a big, is that Sherry McKinley? Hey, sis, good to see you. <laughs> good to see your face. Um, here's what I wish you would say. Everything everyone's ever been waiting for is met in Jesus. 
So if somebody says, hey, what was, the, uh, what was, this, what was your uh, Sunday school class about? I wish you would say that, that everything everyone's ever been waiting for is met in Jesus. Now, I know that's a wonderful thought, and you might be thinking, hey, that's a beautiful thought. Uh, where in the world did you get that from this passage? Uh, it's great to come up with these grandiose uh, statements, these gospel statements, but where does it come from from this passage? Well, it has to do with where we are in time, this Feast of Booths that uh, is mentioned by the gospel writer John uh, in verse 2. This Feast of Booths um, is, is really about the way John frames his gospel. Um, as I said last time, chapter 7 brings in <clears throat> a new uh, section of, um, of uh, Christ's ministry. All right, and I told you before that a lot of, a lot of commentary writers, if they have uh, more than one volume on the Gospel of John, they'll break here because it's a good logical break before chapter 7. Um, and, uh, you know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke fill in a lot of the gaps for the Gospel of John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the synoptic Gospels. Uh, they were supposedly written uh, kind of building off each other. Mark's was first, John's is last. Mark's is first, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, it is thought that Luke and Matthew <clears throat> either used Mark's gospel or used some other materials, but, that, but the, the, the Matthew, Mark, and Luke follow a similar storyline. John's gospel is different. John has um, a different perspective. There's a different uh, pace. There's a different goal. There's a different audience. And I would say that John's gospel's focus is this. If I were to put it in a sentence, I would say it's this. The divine Messiah who will fulfill all things in himself. That's John's, that's what he wants to project. I mean, he, he talks about Christ's deity and so on, but it is this divine Messiah who's gonna fulfill all things in himself. I think that's what John wants to put forth. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke fill a lot of the details in as to what happened between chapter six and chapter seven. Months have gone by. So here we are in the Feast of Booths, and what's so interesting is that John, as he sets up his gospel, he pins a lot of it on the Jewish feasts, which we'll talk about uh, more in a minute, but it's interesting. So this Feast of Booths uh, is, is, is uh, shaping my main um, point today, my, my 3 a.m. point. All right, let's, go, let's look at our first point of two. There's only two of them. The unbelieving brothers. Let's look at verse one. Uh, it says, after this, uh, Jesus went about in Galilee. He wouldn't go about in Judah because the Jews were seeking to kill him, all right? So this, after this that's happening here is basically this. Uh, Jesus had been teaching in Capernaum. Large crowds had followed him. And basically, his teaching to these large, large crowds in Capernaum was something like this. Um, Jesus, speaking of himself, was sent by God. Uh, Jesus had the same credentials as God. These are pretty big claims, but that's what Jesus is teaching. Sent by God, Jesus has the same credentials as God. Um, he is teaching that something is wrong with the world. That's part of his message. Uh, he is also teaching that the only way to escape God's judgment is by believing in Jesus. He is superseding, um, surpassing the sacrificial system. What grand claims and at the apex of all that, he tells them in chapter 6, verse 66, and I, by the way, I know it's 666. Please don't make a big thing out of it. But uh, in 666, um, it says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. 
I mean, he says, hey, no one can come to the Father unless it's granted him. No one can come to me unless it's granted him by the Father. That's the apex of his teaching. And, uh, and the people hear it, and they go, uh, can't follow you anymore. Um, and by the way, um, it's thought that, uh, you know, it says that, um, that uh, uh, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And I said that some commentators thought that it was all. And uh, as I was studying for this, I was, I was going, wait a second. If it was all, it would have said all or all but the 12, or something like that. So there were still followers of Jesus, but many of his disciples turned back and followed him no more. Now, that's a pretty severe scenario. So after this, it says Jesus went about in Galilee. Speaking of severe scenarios, he would not go about in Judah because the Jews were seeking to kill him. That's a pretty severe situation. Now, um, this whole... This whole um, framing of John's gospel and the, and the feasts. There are basically three Jewish feasts, and here's how John uses those things. Um, f- and it helps us anchor things in time. There's three Jewish feasts, and one of them is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. You can read about that in Deuteronomy 16. The Feast of, Un- of Unleavened Bread is the start of harvest, start of barley harvest, all right? So this, remember, this is an agricultural people, very important. You know, we pray give us our, give us day, our daily bread, and we think, yeah, thank you for all this food. And we walk into the produce section and go, hey, you know, hey, by the way, it's totally straying from my notes. But um, I, I was talking to somebody who had a friend who came from a socialist country or a communist country or something like that. And they took him into the produce section at the supermarket. And they're like, what? I mean, that's, that, that's you know, people who come from different parts of the world, you know, we think, oh, America, oh, we're so terrible and icky and and... They walk in and see the produce section and just go, you're kidding me. The abundance is unbelievable. Um, and so this, this stuff about harvest and these feasts, we don't think much of it because we're not, we're not an agricultural community. Um, you know, if it doesn't rain for a couple months, we go, oh, the grass is so dry. Dang it, there's a water restriction. I can't water my grass. You know, these people are going, if it doesn't rain for a couple months, they're going, seven months of hunger. Uh, all of my children are going to lose 15 pounds. I mean, that, that's, that's scary. Anyway, so they have a feast, the beginning of barley harvest, and that also includes the Passover, all right? Uh, and then there's the Feast of Weeks uh, that's in the summer, well, that's, that's later, seven weeks after Passover, and that also eventually ends up including Pentecost, all right? And then the third one is the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tents, uh, and that's what we have here. And that is at the end of harvest season. Um, it says in verse 2, the, the, feast, the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. Um, now, that, you know that's still celebrated today, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths. Um, and uh, if you look up the word, it's uh, Sukkot or, uh, um, yeah, Sukkot. And then the tent itself, if they make these tents, and it's Sukkah. Uh, my Sukkah is your Sukkah. And uh, they, so they make this Sukkah. And... Um, and it's celebrated uh, by by uh, putting leaves and fronds on this little this this little shelter, this tent, and um, they might stay out there and picnic with their kids, or uh, visitors may come, travelers may come into town and end up staying out there uh, in this in these little uh, these little things. Well, there's a whole bunch of stuff to think about um, about this feast. Uh, it's celebrated in the fall around October. This year it was at the end of September. It's already uh, quite done. But it's usually celebrated right around October or so, around around fall, harvest season, and so on. And basically, it's a celebration for the harvest. And so of the feasts, 
it's pretty much the happiest of the feasts. Um, rains have come, uh, things have been planted, everything's been harvested, everything's in the barn, they settle in for the winter, and it's quite happy because uh, God has provided and there's food in the bins, um, and that means that life would be sustained for another year. Quite different from the way uh, you and I have to live, get to live. Also, aside from being a harvest holiday, it's a day in which they would um, uh, commemorate God's provision of sustenance for the Israelites wandering around in the, in the wilderness. And uh, so, you know, God sends manna. By the way, that should ring a bell in chapter 6. We'll talk about that more this week and next week um, and at the end today too. But um, God provides for the Israelites in the wilderness wanderings. And uh, the Feast of Booths or Feast of Tabernacles, think about it. They put up this temporary structure, this nomadic-looking structure. Kind of reminds you of the wilderness, the wilderness wanderings. uh, wanderings. They're thinking about God's provision in the wilderness wanderings, manas particularly. And so to scoop up John's uh, writing, he leaves us off with a whole lot of talk about Moses and manna and so on. And Jesus is the surpassing and ultimate provider of uh, life from God, bread from God, the living bread. Also during this Feast of Booths, a number of other things go down. Um, quite interesting. There was a special sacrifice made. I think it was like 70 bulls or something like that. They make a special sacrifice. Um, temple trumpets were blown daily. So, you know, you got this uh, kind of festive party atmosphere everywhere. Everyone's got one of these uh, uh, Sukkot things. Uh, what do you call Sukkah things in their yard. Um, the temple trumpets are being blown every day. Uh, there's also a water-pouring ceremony uh, that, that uh, commemorates the water coming out of the rock at Meribah. Um, there was also a candelabra in the temple in the inner courtyard that would uh, flood the thing with light, and uh, it reminded people of the fiery pillar by which God led his people at night. Speaking of fiery pillar, um, there was a torch parade. So pretty festive, hey? A big festival, there's a torch parade. It also reminds them of, uh, of, of God leading them by fire. And uh, so people would take, stay in these little tents and so, so on. And basically, it was like glamping, uh, if you've ever done any glamping. It was kind of like glamping, uh, backyard camping, uh, and so on. All that to say, John is shaping his whole story, pinning them on these feasts. I mean, Jesus, every time he goes to Jerusalem, it's for a feast. And then the next time he comes... It's going to be headlong for the cross. And so we're supposed to feel, as we read at these feasts, we're supposed to feel um, the cosmic tension going on. And I don't mean that in a juvenile way. Um, I don't mean it in a hyperbolic way. I'm saying that John, the gospel writer, wants us to feel this redemptive rumbling undercurrent uh, under all that's happening. These feasts are taking place, and you're going, wow, there's a lot of parallels between what's happening in these feasts and a fulfillment that's going to come in Jesus Christ. Like, in other words, everything everybody's ever been, ever been yearning for is met in this Jesus. Um, God has come to earth, ladies and gentlemen. All right, so let's look at verse 3. It says, um, so his brothers said to him. Now, let's pause for a second there. Um, this, this blows people's minds, and um, especially if you're Catholic, um, came up from a Catholic upbringing. But listen to this. This is, a, can I read you just God, God's word? You trust God's word? Listen. Um, and Jesus' mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd came and so on and so on. That's from Mark. Um, he's got brothers. Did you know that? 
Jesus has brothers. Oh, in fact, a couple of famous ones. James, you heard of James, pretty famous brother. How about Judas? He's got a brother named Judas uh, who, who started going by Jude, wouldn't you? Uh, hey, you know what? <laughs> I'm not the he's brother, Jude. Um, and, uh, but guess what Jude wrote? Jude, you know. So two of Jesus' brothers were, were quite prominent. Uh, here's another one, uh, Matthew, um, yeah, Matthew 13, 55. It says this, is, not the carp- is this not the carpenter's son? Is this not mother, his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? I mean, even names. They know this carpenter's son, uh, Jesus has brothers. Also, fast forward, um, you don't have to turn, but in Acts 1, it says, um, yeah, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. You know, what's awesome is that they're listed as early converts, Mary and Jesus' brothers. Um, but friends, here, this is pretty awesome. It's a different reality. Here, uh, look at verse. Um, look at verse three. It says his brothers said to him, "Jesus, uh, leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you were doing." You know these signs, very impressive. Do more signs. Hey, at this point, who do they sound like? Who do the brothers sound like? The crowds, don't they? Hey, show us another trick, Jesus. Yeah, we'll believe in you. Oh yeah, we saw some of those tricks, but uh, more tricks. And so his brothers are going, hey, keep it up, man. Keep it up. You know, be a showman, a little showmanship here, Jesus. Um, for no one in secret uh, works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Um, so they're saying, hey, promote yourself a little bit, Jesus. You know, shine it up a little bit. Put a little sizzle on the steak and, you know, get your message out there. You know, you got to have followers and you got to have a, some strategy, an online strategy, Jesus. And uh, why do they say this? Um, they sound a lot like the crowds. I wonder what the, what the gospel writers take on all that is, their hard attitude. Look at verse five. For not even his brothers believed in him. You know, in case you think I'm being too hard on these guys um, and, and saying that they're not believers, it says that they're not believers. They want um, lateral self-promotion, uh, they want to get Jesus' message out there. They're thinking temporally, not spiritually. Temporally, not eternally. Um, they're thinking um, surfacy, not inwardly. Not the kind of, not the kind of um, kingdom that Jesus came to set up. And that's the very status of the hearts of the people who just turned away from Jesus, the non-believers. Um, but, but hey, by the way, isn't it cool that in Acts 1, they're devoted to prayer with Mary? and they're saved, and two of them go out and write gospels. Is that not awesome? But what a picture, friends. What a picture. Let me just encourage you. You've got friends and family members. Um, maybe you yourself are sitting here going, I, have not, I don't know if I've embraced this Jesus. I, I don't really know if I've really, really put my trust in him. Well, let me tell you something. Uh, on the authority of this book, let me say that there's hope for you. There's hope. And I, I beseech you, believe the Lord of glory. And I, I beseech you, pray for your lost friends and, and, and relatives. Pray for them because God brings people under, under redemption. These guys show up in more than one place in the scriptures. They're saved in one place and they're unsaved in another place. Um, God, God can save and save mightily. And by the way, they're hanging around with Jesus. Can you imagine growing up with Jesus? I imagine my childhood behavior next to Jesus' childhood behavior. Now, 
I guarantee that Jesus was mysterious at times. They didn't understand why he was doing what he was doing. But at no point in his childhood, think about it. Think about it, all you people with children. At no point could anyone point to that kid and go, we saw him sin. Is that shocking? That's this Jesus. Anyway, they had that benefit and still weren't believers until God did a work. Anyway, all to say, um, non-believers like the crowds and these brothers at this point uh, have a very common trait. And the common trait is this. They approach life from an earthly perspective. It is the temporal perspective. It is that which is seen. It is uh, the transient, which is important. And Jesus' message is that he's not at all about that. Um, He's here to fix a much greater problem. Now, here's how it applies to your life. It's so interesting to read of Jesus' brothers and how they'll one day believe they don't believe here and and all that. But it's, it's an amazing story. But it's articulated by verse 5, as I, as I showed you. Um, it says that they um, uh, did not, uh, even his brothers did not believe in him. What didn't they believe in? What, what weren't they grasping? And what did they believe in later? Um, I think the, the, the belief or lack thereof is simply that. Everything everyone's ever been waiting for is met in Jesus. The whole of the Old Testament sacrificial system was pointing to Jesus. Every king was pointing to Jesus. Every prophet was pointing to, speaking of Jesus. Every prophet, every sacrifice ever sacrificed was, a, was an illustration about Jesus, friends. It all pointed to Jesus. And, and what the brothers finally get is they go, oh, everything, not only that Old Testament Jewish history is pointed to, but everything I need now, everything I'm longing for now, all the comforts, all the joys, all the, 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 the empty vacuum that needs to be filled in my soul, the question mark that I have on eternity, everything is met in this Jesus Christ. What do they believe in? Well, what, they're gonna end up, what, they're, what they end up believing is the promise of God. Jesus is crucified. He's an innocent man. He lays down his life for his sheep, and in that they rest their faith. And that's the same gospel message for you. Um, you, you examine your own life. You see that you're a sinner. Um, if you've ever felt shame over anything, regret over anything you've ever done, vivid evidence that you are guilty and you've fallen short of God's glorious standard. Vivid evidence. Um, take that guilt, put it at the foot of the cross, cry out for God's mercy. Say, Jesus paid my sin debt. I can't do it myself. I trust in him. That's how one is saved. That's the difference between an unbelieving brother and a believing brother. Oh, I'm going to work on it. Oh, I got to do better. Oh, I'm just going to try harder. Lord, save me. I can't do anything. I'm just a guilty man and I need forgiveness. Pour out grace. So that's the difference. All right, second and last point. The pinpoint place in your heart. Uh, Look at verse six. Um, uh, Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. And uh, now we read that. I, I stop with surgical care here, friends, because I have many times stressed uh, Jesus' uh, time not yet being here. Uh, and as I'm looking at this, I'm thinking there's probably, I don't know it for sure, but I, w- I wouldn't doubt that I've even cited this uh, to talk about Jesus' time not yet coming. I probably have. I don't remember it, but I probably have. Well, if I had, I think I was wrong in doing so. Um, 
just because the, 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 the phraseology is similar doesn't mean that he's saying the same thing. Um, and if you would like to read gobs of confusing uh, stuff, I can give you gobs of confusing stuff. But uh, basically, um, uh, scholars look at this and they say, okay, Jesus is either saying, and they're looking at a couple of Greek words here and a couple of Greek words here uh, that can go either way. Um, but the context seems to support the way I'm taking it now. Um, so you can go, oh, when Jesus says, my time has not yet come, um, he might be saying, hey, uh, <clears throat> my time's not yet come to die on the cross, and therefore I can't go to Judea. But then, friends, why does he turn around and go to Judea? And uh, as I was reading that, there may have been a few of you that went, oh, no, the Bible's in question. What am I going to do now? Because it seems to contradict itself. It doesn't have to contradict itself. I think, I think Jesus is basically speaking in a way it's similar, but he's basically saying, hey, look, um, I can't go to the festival with you right now, but you can go anytime you want. You know, your, your time is always here. Uh, you can go anytime you want, but I can't just go in there because they want to kill me. So you go on ahead, and uh, they, he remains in Galilee after his brothers, in verse 10, had gone up to the feast. Then he also went up, not publicly, in private. I mean, that seems, in the context and the flow of it, seems very rational, very logical. Um, if you read it five times in a row, which I did, um, you'll look at it and go, well, you know what? That's, that's very fluid and makes sense. He says, my time has not yet come. I can't just go up there anytime I want. You, of course, can. So they go on ahead, and then he waits, and he goes separately, uh, not publicly, but in private. Um, and then in verse 11, it tells us more, you know, um, um, the Jews are looking for him, and so on. But um, so, don't rush to judgment and think that there's sneakiness on Jesus' part. Uh, there's not sneakiness on Jesus' part. He's sinless. Um, in in verse eight, look at this. Um, you go up to the feast. I am not. Next to the word "not," does anybody have a number or a footnote or a? a okay, uh, it's it's a footnote. If you go to the bottom of the page. Uh, the footnote says, some manuscripts add, yet. My time has not yet come. Uh, in other words, I can't, go to, I can't go to Judea with you. And that little yet, some manuscripts, the, the most reliable manuscripts, don't include it. Um, and that's why it's not in the ESV. But, but, but the point is, if a scribe were, and I, I don't mean to freak you out about, but we're going to talk about, talk about this more in about, uh, about a, a little more than a month. I'm going to talk about the Bible, where we got it, and why you can trust it. But when a, when a scribe, all it takes is one scribe to copy one little word, and all of a sudden you got other people copy, copying that one little word, right? Um, so he's probably saying, hey, he's trying to convey the meaning of what's really happening here and stuck that word in there, um, but uh, the most reliable manuscripts don't have it. So that's a lot of talking to say. Don't freak out. Um, it looks like Jesus is just saying, y'all go on ahead. Uh, I can't go in there with you. I'm going to come in later, which he, which he indeed does. So in some covert way, whether by side roads or by night or maybe the cover of the 12 disciples or whatever, Jesus makes his way to the uh, Feast of Tabernacles. And in verse 11, it says uh, the Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And by the way, that further validates the plan, doesn't it? That he, he doesn't go with his family he waits until it's, uh, the feast is underway. He doesn't want to come into the center of attention because they're trying to kill him. So the Jews are looking, where is he? The people are talking. In verse 12, they're muttering among uh, themselves, and they, they say, well, some say he's a good man, and uh, others say, uh, no, he is leading the people astray. Uh, yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke 
uh, openly about him. Uh, you know, that reminds me, uh, when, uh, when I was in Cuba on a mission trip, um, you know, big, loud, dopey Americans are like, blah, 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 Fidel Castro. <laughs> and they're like, hey, 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 cool it, you idiots. You can't say Castro. Do you know that? I mean, you could go, ah, Trump stinks. Oh, I hate Walter Mondale. You can say anything you want here. But over there, you, you just don't go, oh, I don't like what Fidel's done. They don't even say his name. You know what they do? They take three fingers like this and go, or they, they do they stroke their chin like he's a beard. So they'll say, anyway, <laughs> I don't know if you heard the news, but uh, <laughs> they do a little motion. They don't even say his name. All right, well, they're not even talking about Jesus here. They're, 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 for fear of the Jews, no one speaks openly of him. They don't want to be condemned as a follower. They don't even want to be tangled up in the whole thing. He's not even being discussed, but they're mummering, muttering. And some people say he's a good man. Others say he's leading the people astray. Now, how do we apply this? Well, everything everyone's ever been waiting for is met in Jesus. Um, you, you believe that or no? I mean, you go, well... Um, He's either who he says he is, or he's a big fat liar, and he's leading people astray. There's no in-between. Uh, there's no, oh, he's a sweetie pie, I sort of like him, or, you know, in fact, you know, it's, this is an interesting thing. When people go, well, you know, I'll tell you, <laughs> I, I don't, I'm not a Christian. <laughs> uh, uh, I, 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 I agree with some of the things Jesus says. Agree with uh, some of you know some of some of the things, some major things Jesus says, but uh, uh, you know I'm not I'm I'm not not a Christ follower. You know what you say? Specifically, what do you agree with that Jesus said? You know what they're going to say? Nothing, because <laughs> they don't know anything that Jesus said. Oh, we are the golden rule. Okay, well, you know, they're not going to know a whole lot. Anything, uh, anyway. I'll just say this: um, that's the dividing line. He's either who he says he is, or he's a big fat liar. Uh, that's two camps, um, and, and it's always two camps, and that's the gospel situation. Um, now, uh, I'll close with this, and I'm, I'm sort of cannibalizing what I'm going to say in about a month, but it's just too, it's just too wonderful. Uh, skip ahead to the end of the chapter, all right? So we're skipping ahead to verse 37. It's at the end of the feast, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. All right, so he goes to Judea. He ends up teaching in the synagogue, which is amazing. And everybody, the bad guys are trying to kill him. And here he has popped up, and he's talking about living water suddenly, which is amazing because they're at the Feast of the Booths, and there's this water pouring out ceremony, and it uh, commemorates the, wa- the water providing for the people by God and the rocket Meribah. I mean, another parallel to Jesus. All right, so let me ask you a question. We're at the, end, to the last day of the feast, the great day. Jesus stood up and cried out. All right, let me ask you a question. If it's the beginning of class and everybody's milling around and they're eating and talking and, and we need to get going, and I say, hey, folks, all right, um, let, go ahead and take your seats. Uh, let's get comfortable. Let's settle in. We're going to go ahead and begin. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you. Move in. Thank you so much. Now, would you say that I just cried out? You would? I wouldn't. I mean, I spoke authoritatively. I raised my voice. How about this? I'm running for political office, and I say, oh, I'm going to be your new uh, county commissioner. 
and uh, we're going to move ahead, and uh, we're going to make changes that are very positive, and we're going to move ahead in hope. Am I crying out? If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Did I just cry out? Jesus cried out on the last day of the feast. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. I mean, this passionate plea, this this giant um, sermonic message to believe in the, the, the one who came to provide sent by God. What a thing, ladies and gentlemen. And, and the, the message rings true to this day. Um, he cries out this moment. He cries out to your soul. Radio listener, ham operator listener, if you're listening, it's 2036 and you're just now stumbling onto the sermon. Let me tell you, come to the Savior. Get the living water. Come to the Savior. Get the living bread. There is no other substitute. There is no other answer. There is no other way unto God. Believe the Savior. Um, receive him and live. Lord, um, you tell us all kinds of amazing things in your word, like you sing over us in joyful um, song. Like a mother sings over her child, you sing over us in joy. Um, And Lord, you, you tell us all kinds of things like, um, you, you provide water and sustenance for us and that you're that great provision and that you've loved us with an everlasting love. And it's just amazing, Lord. Thank you. Um, thank you for sending a Savior for us. And I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be not only tenderized toward the gospel, uh, unto life, draw souls unto you, Lord. But I also pray, Father, for our uh, often heavy hearts in this often complicated life, uh, might we find that our resources are not in our hands, and they never are, they never were. Our wisdom is not possessed by us. It all belongs to you. It's a loan. Uh, we pray, Lord, that we would find our hearts falling at the foot of the cross in mercy again. Uh, might, you, might you seek us out, might you find us, might you have us, and might we rest in you in all things. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate you.